This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me again, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, it's good to be back. We took a week off last week. We weren't really planning to, but you know, we needed to get ready for today's show because we have quite an epic interview coming up. You know, we do, Chris. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, since we've been back uh, the new year, we have just had interview after interview after interview, which I am pretty sure that the fans of the show really like. Um, there's only so much of my own voice that I can hear. So um, that's right. <laughs> I love hearing you know, hearing from the authors and, and Margaret on the last show from the editing side, I think is, uh, you know, it's it's why I love doing this show because I mean, we can talk about the books all we want to, but, but hearing from their side is what's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm with you. And and so it, it's the joy of doing the show. Um, I appreciate it every time one of the authors is on. So I really do thank them. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited this weekend. We're going to have Kirsten back. She was the uh, second episode that we ever did. So very yeah. excited, you know, her and Dayton um, were, Number one, number two, and and now pretty much starting off our new year here with them as well. Definitely, and and picking up on past news discussions here, we will finally be able to ask her straight on whether or not that beam of light was ever considered to be the monkey. I'm excited about that. Um, the cover alone, um, you know, yeah, it it really did kind of get that nice Harlequin romance feel. So we can really ask her about Kathy and Coco and and how things are going to go for them <laughs> in the future. Yeah. So it's exciting. All right. Well, before we get to talking protectors with Kirsten, we do have a news item for you here, and we're also going to talk about the new issue of Star Trek Ongoing, the one with Jane Tiberia Kirk that we've been waiting for. Matthew, it looks like the first news item that we have up here is from Christopher L. Bennett. And when Margaret was on with us on last show, she talked about some of the upcoming books. And Bennett has hopped in here and uh, filled everyone in with some new details about both the Department of Temporal Investigations as well as what we can look forward to in the Enterprise series. Yeah, this is exciting. Okay, so uh, he's going to be doing the novella for um, the Department of temporal investigations he did say that it's going to be a pretty hefty one so that's good because uh any of the stories with department of temporal investigations we know and and really say that three times fast goodness um is is let's just call it dti the dti DTI, uh, story yeah um 
it's always chock full. Now, uh, unlike um, the other stories he's done uh, in this series, it's not going to be weaving together the time travel episodes like he's been doing. Um, he's actually going to be um, kind of focusing on the Iridian vaults, uh, where the DTI stores its most dangerous temporal artifacts. It, he says, kind of think of it as a as a warehouse 13 for time travel. And uh, he's going to have his mysterious agent, uh, Jenna Noy, from the 31st century come back. Which I, I wonder, is she going to be there to annoy the other characters? <laughs> she is Jenna Noy. That's true. That's true. Uh, there's a possibility and uh, um, Luxley and... Dolmer don't really seem to be the kind of people who enjoy humor um, or anything nope. like that. So I'm pretty sure they're pretty easy. You know, no way, especially if you do time jokes <laughs> with them. Um, so yeah. this is exciting. I, I, you know, I love that um, this series is going to continue, uh, even if it isn't in a novella form. But, you know, as we've talked about with uh, Margaret and even just um, when I talked with James about um, his novella last year, kind of following up a little bit on Generations. You know, novellas really do this great job of being able to create kind of an episode-like feel to them instead of like a yeah. movie-like feel that you get. And it, I think it allows writers to be more focused sometimes and right. just give you the best parts of the story. So knowing Christopher, I really think that this will be a, a winner. Um, and yeah, then, I enjoy novellas. I, I like the length of them. I like being able to get in and out of the story and, mm -hmm. and feel like I'm a little bit more immersed in the story as well. So I'm I'm all for the format. Yes, yes, exactly. And less surprising, he says, but uh, he's been signed up for two more Enterprise novels. So we're going to be getting the follow-up uh, uh, to uh, April's second of installment, The Tower of Babel, uh, in part three, which he says he's tentatively named Uncertain Logic. And then book four will probably arrive early in 2016. So really excited to be able to be getting this. You know, he said that both books will continue to flesh out the ideas of Enterprise as well as kind of revealing those original elements from the original series and beyond and feature that world building and explore exploration as well. So um, exciting, exciting news, mainly because as we have both talked about, these Enterprise novels have been the thing, Chris, that we've been uh, wanting because, uh, you know, we both loved Enterprise and would have loved to have seen it continue. And because it's not, uh, Bennett is doing a fantastic job of, of giving us the series I think we all knew Enterprise could have been. Um, yeah. And it, even, you know, even Brandon said uh, in, in one of the interviews on the Blu-rays, you know, Basically, if we had kind of started out with a season four kind of thing going on in Enterprise uh, uh, at the very first season, yeah, fans would have stayed with us probably. Um, and, and they would because, have. Although I, yeah. I don't know that I wanted it to start that way myself. Um, but but well, yeah, maybe I, fans would have bought yeah. in at the beginning, and then maybe yeah, maybe you know I personally think would um, I would have loved to have seen. And this is a little tangent here. Just a side note. This is for free, folks. I would have liked to have seen, <laughs> um, instead of uh, what they did, is have the first season be them on the on the on Earth most of the time, and it that be was their the original plan exactly. Yeah. But it be the Zindi attack that got oh, them okay. off the planet. So uh -huh. they're a really untried crew going to try and save Earth, and then you have the whole Zindi arc. And then you have season four be season two. So I think that would have been or or season three. Um, and I think you would have like really 
captured um, the audience um, really well. And and you wouldn't have had that kind of season two kind of lull where you lost a lot of people um, and they just mm-hmm. didn't really come back for season three. So that by the time yeah. you got to that, nobody was there. So, um, you know, the other thing I love about the books that Bennett is writing is that they continue the story of Enterprise, but they go beyond that and they, they bridge that gap between Enterprise and the 23rd century and how the Federation actually came about and how yep. Starfleet came about and and such. So so anyway, I'm, I'm glad to see that there are two more books coming and I'm really curious to know what the fourth one might be titled. He says there's a connection between three and four, of course, and so we've got Uncertain Logic as a tentative title for book three. Uh, coming in early 2015, he says, and then early 2016, book four. So I'm looking forward to it. So we'll keep you up to date on those and find out what's going on there. All right. Well, that's the only news item we have today, Matthew. But the other thing we have to do here in the segment is to talk about Parallel Lives, part one which is also Star Trek ongoing number 29 from IDW. We've been wondering for a while since we had that news story and we saw Jane Tiberia Kirk. We were wondering where they were going with this. And well, now we know we have read it. What did you think? You know, um, let's say spoiler alert. There aren't a (laughs) lot of spoilers really in this because it's kind of a setup for part two anyway, but we will talk about some things in here. So there's your spoiler alert. So what'd you think, Matthew? You know, Chris, um, reading through it, I thought it was really fun. It's a setup for sure. Um, and they are just creating and, and kind of introducing you to this whole kind of parallel world universe that they've got where basically any character that was a, wo- a woman on on the side that we're on with, with James Kirk is a, is a man and any man... And James Kirk's universe, it would be a woman in this parallel universe. Right. So um, it, it's not really and, that hard to figure out. And let me just say to that end, I think that my favorite thing that I came across as I flipped through was page 15 when they're having a staff meeting and Keenzer sitting at the table. And it's Keenzer. Keenzer is a girl. Yeah, it was really important to get Keenzer in there. Um, yes. We all know how... Um, <laughs> you know, vital Kinzer is to the <laughs> JJ universe. And so um, I'm excited to see the fact that uh, that's really the case here, that they, they would introduce her character. Um, yeah. Now, uh, and this is a, just a, I you know, I, for me, it's not a ton to talk about um, with no. this ep- issue because it really is just a fun, goofy issue, I think. Um, and, it, and it gives them a little bit of a break because they've had some really deep, you know, disturbing storylines. They had the Kittimer conflict and everything. And this is just uh, giving the, the, I think it'll give the crew of this enterprise a little bit of a chance to breathe, you know? Um, and hopefully it's not an, uh, universe ending paradox. The fact that they'll run into each other and, uh, you know, maybe Kirk will fall in love with himself. Uh, you know, and it could be, I mean, Jane Kirk, she's a hottie and, you know, um, well, so I, is- I started wondering, I have to say with some of the conversation in here, whether Captain Jane Kirk also sleeps around like the Kirk of the Abrams verse does the James T. Kirk of the Abrams verse. 
Yeah, exactly. Because it's actually, and and I'm not just saying that to be to be funny. There's actually a comment made in the story that sort of implies that. Yeah. So you know, hey, anything in a parallel universe is possible. So I'm, you but know, but some willing. things are constant. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, good for her. Um, you know, well done, Jane Kirk. Um, come <laughs> to my universe anytime. Well, I found it interesting that what, one of the questions about the Abrams verse is the idea that, okay, there's this other universe. It's like a parallel universe, and somehow you can create a bridge. And by crossing over, you can affect the the timeline, the course of history in that other universe. And, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that idea. Of course, in science today, there's this idea of the multiverse, and there's this idea that, you know, Every decision you make causes the universe to split and then life continues on. But but what I find interesting in the comic here is that they're suggesting that the setup of Star Trek, the 2009 movie, that was just showing two universes, but there actually are essentially an unlimited number of universes in the multiverse here where the differences vary more. You know, the difference between the Abramsverse and the Prime Universe were essentially nine. I mean, there were almost no differences up until the time that Nero came through and then things branched off a little bit. Here you've got something where things are pretty much the same, except the genders are all reversed. So it's 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 an interesting idea that I think maybe kind of addresses some of the questions fans had about the setup in the first place and does it in a fun way. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, that's really true, and I, I like the way they do it. Um, this is a lot of fun, the idea that uh, everything's kind of the opposite gender-wise in this um, universe. But the personalities but it, are very similar. Yes, yes. Um, and it seems like all the same things have really happened to the characters as well. Um, you know, Khan and, and, and it has happened to this. <laughs> Except Khan was a woman here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, which um, I'm laughing because if you see the illustration, you're immediately thinking about Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan in with the you know fighting the Klingons on Kronos and everything, and it's the same scene except with the flowing long hair coming out from under the hood. Yeah, exactly. Um, she's uh, you know that Khan is a good looking uh, person as well. Let's just say, that apparently in this universe. All women are good looking. Even um, Kinzara? Yeah, well, Kinzara, I mean, she she might not be, you know, my personal cup of tea, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that for someone, she is. Um, okay. Although I do have to say, it's funny to me, is that the, the only character in here that's a woman that they kind of give a harder edge to is Bones. <laughs> she just kind of has oh, yeah. a, she has a much uh, harder look to her than any of the yeah. other women, which, you know, I feel bad. Carl Urban, guy's a good-looking guy. Come on. He doesn't look like this. <laughs> well, we haven't seen Carl Urban with hair this long before, Matthew. That is true. That is true. So, uh, oh, actually, uh, he has had long hair, but it was in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and uh, oh, then, of okay. course— yeah. uh, the return of the king and it was blonde there so right a little different that's true that's true the other thing i found interesting in here picking up on something we've seen in novels is the idea of course here it's presented as being experimental but there's the idea that you have some sort of holographic technology that can allow you to project your image 
to other people so that you can look like another alien race? Because on Star Trek, typically, you know, they've done surgery to make people look like different aliens for away missions. And in, in the novels, you've had cases where they have Starfleet has this holographic masking technology, basically. And, and you see that here at the beginning of this comic. Yeah, I thought that that was actually pretty cool. Um, that idea it reminded me a little bit of what they did in Insurrection with the uh, isolation suits, um, except um, they went one step further and just gave people um, the the ability to look like the aliens holographically right. without having. Yeah, to, the isolation you know. suit was more like a, you're cloaking yep. yourself, but here is where you're like really presenting yourself as being an alien, which is uh, it's pretty cool. The idea of, of having. Uh, um, you know, holography be able to really let you interact yeah. with an alien species like this. Um, and apparently, obviously, Jane Kirk is just like uh, Captain Kirk from our universe. Uh, she she is willing to uh, bend the, the rules on the Prime Directive as as much as she needs uh, when she feels it's necessary. So uh, good to see that that part is is also re- really uh, not changed much. Yeah. Well. In the end, like we said, there's not a whole lot to say about this because it really is a setup. It's interesting how parallel the events are between, you know, what happened to the Abrams verse crew and what's happening here. But basically it introduces you to the characters and we get to the end. And I guess really, I almost wish that this were just a double length issue where we could just have the second part of the story because unlike comics where you read the first half and it's like a cliffhanger and you want to know what happened next and then you have to wait a month. This one feels almost like, okay, you've introduced me to everybody, and now I have to wait a month to find out what the story is. Yeah, that is true. Um, and uh, I think that um, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's the, the problem with comics sometimes is, is that uh, instead of just giving us more, more like a you know 36-page issue or something like that, um, which could have probably finished out the entire story in one run, it does seem like um, maybe it does give the um, the authors of the comics maybe a little time to relax too and, and come up with yeah. whatever they're going to do next. Um, so, you know, I, I give it to them. It's kind of like, um, you know, you, you do um, a really big episode on the TV show and then the next week's a little bit like lighter and funnier. So yeah. I, I'll let it go. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested at least to see what the storyline is going to be like as they kind of have to interact with their counterpart who really is is a mirror for them you know and, and not an evil mirror just a mirror um, just a and, mirror, and yeah. kind of what it would it be like to to kind of literally meet yourself but they'd be the opposite gender and is kirk gonna want to take that kirk to bed <laughs> and and will that have repercussions on the, the multiverse space time yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, gosh, I'm not even going to ask that question, but yeah, seems like there should be some things that are wrong with that. Um, and a this lot of, be. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, it, it is a lot of fun. I, I'd say it's worth picking up. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting just to watch how they're building this. And I think the, the, I, I hope that the payoff in part two will be worth it. I hope so. All right. Well, we will, um, review that one when it comes out. 
All right. Well, that's all we have in the news segment today. But before we bring Kirsten in, we would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that's Audible.com. Audible helps us bring literary treks to you every week, and they are the premier source for audiobooks online. They have over 150,000 books on the site, and there are new titles coming every week. Classics, current bestsellers, some of the most famous Star Trek books. They have something for everyone on Audible. And what we'd like to do today is recommend the book to you. And in honor of our discussion with Kirsten and what she does with the character of Janeway in Protectors, I'd like to recommend Mosaic and go all the way back to Jerry Taylor's book about Janeway and, you know, relive the early days of the character and, of course, the back history of the character that, that Jerry presented to everyone. And you can get that book on Audible, and it is narrated by Kate Mulgrew herself. And you can get it absolutely free as a Trek FM listener. And all you have to do to get that is to go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for a 30-day trial of Audible. And the book sure is for free. And if after 30 days you decide that you don't want to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book. So there's really nothing to lose. And uh, I know you're going to love that book and the other books they have there. And once you see what they have on the site, you know, you're going to be digging in and, and you're going to want to stick with them. Anyway, uh, so go check it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm, pick up Mosaic or anything else you want, and we really thank Audible for helping us bring literary treks to you every week. Well, Chris, um, we have been going now for 49 episodes, and episode two for us was Kirsten Beyer talking about the Eternal Tide, and what is so exciting for me here in this episode is that we have Kirsten back to talk about Protectors coolest thing is is that on the other side of the page Kirsten gave us some fantastic information so I'm very excited to welcome back our newest Trek lit New York Times best-selling author Kirsten Beyer to talk about her brand new Voyager book Kirsten it is wonderful to have you back and before we do anything else congratulations on this big news thank you thank you so much and it's awesome to be back you guys are great <laughs> thanks welcome well back. um okay so, you know, I mean, at the end of the Super Bowl, they ask the Super Bowl winner, where are you going to go next? Um, do they do that with New York Times bestselling authors? <laughs> no, <laughs> but if they had, the answer would have been to take my daughter to karate class. <laughs> karate class. Nice. So yeah. you just tell yeah. her, sweep the leg, Johnny, sweep the leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the first like few hours after I caught my editor called. I had, you know, all the things that I have to do in any given day with my family and, you know, my daughter and everything. So there really hasn't been much time to celebrate or anything yet. But, um, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't anything terribly thrilling. So do you, do you celebrate like David Mack? You pull out a nice single malt scotch or do you pull out, uh, you know, a, a bottle of cheap champagne, you know, you bought in the drugstore on the way home? Uh, how, how do you celebrate? Well, what I wanted to celebrate with, and this is awful, um, was uh, there's this frozen yogurt place by my daughter's karate that sells this amazing mm. coconut frozen yogurt, which I haven't found anywhere since I was in college. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. And not that I frequent a lot of frozen yogurt places, but I found it there a few weeks ago. And when we got there, I was like, I'm going to get frozen yogurt and I'm going to have a ton of it. I'm going to put almonds all over it. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> and when I got there, they didn't have it. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's terrible. Like, guys are awful. You have no idea. Oh, man. So, Epic yeah. fail. 
epic yeah. fail. Uh, were were you able to get any frozen yogurt celebrated? Yeah, at all? I had like just... a caramel. It was like salty caramel something, and it really didn't do the job. It Lame. Really did not get Lame. The job. That sounds good to me, but yeah, but it's well, not coconut. It was all right. <laughs> well, um, I, yeah, I, that's so exciting for for <laughs> you. Um, I and I know that every single time and we've talked to one of the authors and, and they've had that happen, it's been a big deal. And and I think really proving. Um, uh, pocket right and um, pursuing this avenue with the 24th century with the fall and now with really um, making sure that Voyager is taken care of and, and they put that in your hands uh, I was talking to our uh, to the journey co-star Charlene today and we were just talking about your book and, and she's a huge Voyager fan obviously and and we were just loving what you've been doing with the series. And um, I think it really shows in the fact that people are responding so well to the Voyager books um, and that they are buying them, they are loving them, and they are helping make um, you know authors bestsellers. Um, that's fantastic. And I, and I think it speaks to the fact of how much I think people want Star Trek and that prime universe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that uh, – I don't think these stories and the potential for these stories – um, ever goes away, you know. Um, you just have to, uh, just have to kind of keep at it. So, yeah. But I, I just, I feel like, I feel like for a number of years now, um, everybody who's been working in the shared truckle universe has been really trying to keep pushing the bar higher. You know, everybody does it for themselves and for yeah. one another. And um, every time you start a new project, you're just trying to. Um, you know, push yourself a little further to see what you can come up with. Um, yeah. But uh, for me, it's it's an incredibly exciting and fulfilling thing to do. And, um, you know, even more so now that it feels like more and more people out there are starting to get a sense of what these books can be beyond what they might have been back when the series were on the air, where they were just sort of lost episodes that, you know, um, right. didn't necessarily have a need real impact on the status of, of the sort of canon show that everybody was seeing. You know, now everything that we do um, has consequences and carries the stories forward because mm -hmm. there are no other stories to, to sort of fill in that gap. So, Well, that's the thing, not, not just the potential for more of these stories, but like what you're doing with Voyager, I think, is the potential for the characters themselves and the series uh, that we didn't all see fulfilled on the screen that we wanted. That, yeah. that you're capturing those characters in your books and realizing that potential. Yeah. Well, you know, some of that too is because of the freedoms that I have that they didn't, you know. They couldn't bring the ship home. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't mm -hmm. um, add a whole bunch of characters. Um, they couldn't, there's, there's just so much that I get to do on a page that they couldn't do on screen. So, um, you know, some of that I think is just the realities of the differences between the books and, and right. the other mediums. Well, I think for you, um, too, what has has um, helped, I think, is that with the, the novels, they, they are interconnected, and yet they are, as much as they can be, two standalone stories. Yeah. But uh, the, the the serialized storytelling has, has taken over for the 24th century. When we were talking to Margaret, she, she was talking about, you know, if a writer comes in and they're going to write in the 24th century, you know, um, and, and I think this is probably why she has it set up right now that so many of the same authors are doing it because they're familiar then 
and they don't have to go back. Um, yeah. But it, it's created that thing that we got on, on Deep Space Nine a lot where the, the story is, is a continuous story, but we can tell standalone stories at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what you uh, were able, are, are able to do now with Voyager that they didn't do as well on the show is, is to tell a continuous storyline, but yeah. also do it in a way that you don't miss, uh, you don't lose people. Um, and, and so by you doing that, you're taking these characters to places they haven't been before because you're growing them in the way that they should be grown as, as you watch a character, you know, for seven seasons. I mean, seriously, Harry Kim, he, he needs to be more than an ensign by the time he gets home. <laughs> Give the poor guy a battlefield commission. Um, Harry. You know, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, uh, poor dumb Harry, um, yeah. PDH. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, it, it's great that that's the kind of thing that's that's been able to happen throughout this Voyager series that you've taken over. Well, for me, that's the most interesting part. You know, the science fiction, the space battles, all of the sort of trappings that go along with anything Star Trek that you're going to do are exciting and fun and whatever. But they're not the place where I find as much original material as just by digging into each of the characters, you know. Right, well, and, yeah. and it, I, I think that that is one of the things that's really beautiful about, um, you know, Voyager in general is that it really did have some interesting characters to it. I mean, yeah. uh, and I, it, again, what the, you've been able to do is take those characters that started off with so much potential, like a character for me, like Chakotay, I can't stand him in the show, but as you write him in the, in the, in the series that you've been doing, I really like this guy. Like, I think he's 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 kind of Rikerish, but he's he's got a little bit more tact than that. Sometimes, you know, he's mm-hmm. he's got a lot of pieces of a lot of different Star Trek characters that I like. But uh, he's become his own person, or or you know, again, Harry Kim. He's really come into his own and become a guy that I really respect in the show uh, mm-hmm. uh, now because I see what he can become later. Yeah. Um, and so all those things, and, and and we, Chris and I, talk about this a lot in our in our orb show um is that character has to drive story not story drive character yeah and i feel like for you in your voyager books you really are having your characters drive the story because you're picking up on all of the tiny little character pieces that we got throughout voyager and helping make them make sense and then moving them forward and and that's what makes such good rich storytelling Thank you. And, and yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm always struck every single time I go back and watch episodes, which I do every time I write a book, because there's always at least a handful that I need to reference just to even have it clear in my head again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I always see moments, not necessarily where characters are speaking, but where they're in a scene um, and a look on their face uh, as someone else says something or silence as they respond to something. I mean, there is so much stuff going on um, for everybody that it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's easy for me in some ways to just keep making everything deeper and richer and more full. You know, a lot of that is just straight from what I actually just saw on the screen. And then, you know, the rest of it is sort of crafting the various obstacles you're going to put in front of them that are going to be best suited to sort of reveal what you're looking to reveal about a character. Right. And that's sort of the harder part in some ways, but you know, it's the job. So, yeah. 
Exactly. And, and, and I mean, that's what they pay you to be a New York Times bestseller for. Uh, so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, okay. So the, the first thing I, I, I kind of wanted to, to jump into, um, was, uh, you know, talking to Margaret, we, uh, we did uh, a couple weeks ago and, and how everything in the 24th century is, um, set, uh, you know, and it's all caught up, yeah, but not me. Voyager here is, is taking place around the same time of rough beasts of empire. did. Yeah. So it's about three years behind where, um, the fall just ended. Right. Uh, so one, is it difficult then to kind of create this story that's, uh, that's not so big that, you know, if somebody read rough beasts of empire, they would think, okay, well, why, why is there no mention of this? illness that's happening on these worlds in the federation um how do you work with that well i guess in the first place you try to create a situation where it's realistically possible that that wouldn't have been mentioned so by making it uh, something that's been actually classified by starfleet medical and the federation institute of health and by limiting the people who at the time it's introduced to our story actually know about it to like you know 50 um it it makes sense that, you know, this isn't something everybody in the quadrant is talking about or dealing right. with. It's something that they have, you know, absolutely drawn a curtain around and said, nobody gets to know about this. And there's also a really good reason for that. I mean, after so many people died in the invasion, um, they're going to do their damnedest to make sure that, you know, word of something like this, a new possible devastating, you know, illness with an incredibly high potential body count, doesn't um you know cause panic because it would right oh yeah definitely i mean you know you have to, you do i do have to be careful um when i deal with stuff that is directly related to the alpha quadrant i mean for a long time i sort of felt like i wouldn't have to worry about stuff like that because voyager was just going to be right. separate. they're in the delta quadrant doing their thing and whatever but um right. you know here i really didn't feel when I started like I had any choice but to um, go back to the Alpha Quadrant, particularly with Janeway. And, you know, as the, as the idea of the plague and, um, and all of that was developed, you know, it just, it made sense to me that it didn't have to be something that, that was widespread. You know, if I had characterized it differently, that would have been another thing and would have given readers, I think, more to complain about. But then, you know, on the other side of that, there's just sort of the real world side that people need to understand that we write these books in the order we write these books. And just because we come up with something that may not mesh perfectly with everything else that's out there, that doesn't mean we're going to turn away from it if it's the story idea that has the most potential for us to deal with what we want to deal with. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I'm with you. I didn't really... I felt like the way that you were crafting the story was making it make sense that I wouldn't, you know, uh, have seen that in a rough piece of empire. I was just wondering, you know, on the, on the author side, you know, that, that has to be tough because you really do have to put some thought into, I think that, um, how it goes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, absolutely. And, and, and I think again, this is what's, you know, making the 24th century so rich is that the authors are, are knowing the material well enough but also really um, working very hard to craft stories that do fit well together and make sense in, in a way that, as a reader, 
if I'm paying attention, I'll pick up on on what you just said um, that this is something that the Federation is hiding. Um, they're not. They don't want anybody to know about. They don't want people to panic. Um, they've got enough panic right now. I mean, if you remember in the Rough Beast of Empire, um, you know, uh, you know, that's right before, uh, right after losing the peace, and Picard and the Enterprise have been running around trying to fix everything, and it's just it, it's chaos in the Federation at the moment. And so it is. It's it's not surprising that this would be the kind of thing that would be kind of easy to keep hidden under the rug because people are too worried about what they're going to eat, which hasn't right. happened in the Federation for, yeah. you know, 200 right. years. So, And it's not like there's any shortage of, you know, sort of news stories for people to cover out there. So you would think that something like this might come to wider public attention just by reporting on individual worlds where this is happening. But those worlds are in chaos right now. So, you know, it, it, it becomes justifiable to me as a story choice at that point. Right. So the, the the next thing too, I was just going to kind of ask the follow up with that. Um, you know, you're you're working on uh, uh, you know this will kind of be a trilogy here yeah. when when you're done. So will Voyager be caught up to the rest of the 24th century by the time this is no. over? No, this trilogy this trilogy will take us through the end of Voyager's first year of their planned three year mission. Okay. So it'll okay. be like it'll end like May 2382. Okay. 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 Gotcha. No, that's fine. I don't. I don't really have to have it caught up um, at all. I, I think it. You know where Voyager. It sounds like at least where Voyager will probably end up anyway is is being more Delta Quadrant based, and so it 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 won't hurt anything. Um, yeah. You know, you're you're not going to get that feeling. So, and but that's definitely something a lot of readers are wondering, though. I think right. Yeah, no, I mean, right. there, are, there are certainly readers who come out every time a new book comes out, and, and as the time difference grows larger and larger, they start to panic, you know, on some level, because I think maybe they think that if everybody else gets too far ahead, I'm just going to be forced to skip a bunch of time and bring everything up to date so we can, you know, all be in sync again. Right. Um, yeah. But the reality is I don't feel a ton of pressure to do that. I mean... I can certainly see story possibilities where we could make up some time, but I don't tend to write, or at least I haven't yet found a story that, you know, needed to cover six or eight months. Do you know what I mean? That that realistically that amount right. of time passing served the story all that well. You know, I tend to write, right. Um, right. sometimes it can take a few months, say, but the main action of any story is going to be concentrated in, in some... Um, you know, series of events that takes place over a fairly concise period of time. Um, maybe because it's hard to to sometimes stretch the dramatic tension out if 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 there's mm. too much room in between, you know, the events of a story. I'm not sure. But at any rate, um, everybody who's working on the production side of this stuff is well aware that Voyager is, is quite a bit behind. Um, and for now, that's okay. I mean, you know, we keep talking about continuing to tell stories at the pace we've been going because that's what serves the stories. Now, the downside is, you know, Margaret would have loved, for instance, to have Voyager be a part of the fall. That would have been mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah. We couldn't do it. Um, and until we decide or if we, you know, unless we decide to make Voyager more contemporary with everybody else somehow. Right. We probably won't be able to participate in crossover events like that. 
but you know, it's a call for the future. Right now, I've, I've, you know, Protectors is out. The access contrition is finished. It's not copy edited. I mean, we've got production issues still to, to go through that process. But the writing is done. Um, and I am in the process of, of outlining the, the third one, and that's going to be done in probably five or six months. So for the foreseeable future, I'm kind of where I am. And um, right. <laughs> I can't really think much beyond that at this point. But when it's done, I will. <laughs> you know, and then we'll, we'll see what we want to do. And I think again, that's that's okay. I mean, even in the fall, you know, uh, Cisco is barely in the fall, right? Um, which, to my chagrin, I was I was disappointed in because I feel like the poor guy has just got the shaft ever since he's been mm -hmm. back. Uh, whereas, um, I at least want to say, uh, you know, with you bringing uh, Janeway back, mm -hmm. um, I feel like uh, you have made it really worth it. And and that's where I want to go next because I think we're going to end up talking about her for a while. Okay. Because because if if I had to say anything, I would say that you could call this book Deconstructing Kathy. Mm -hmm. Um because you really do tear her down mm -hmm. to her core yeah. and build her back up. And and what I what I feel in that reading through the story is that you are taking all of the inconsistencies that you ever saw as you I know you've watched through Voyager multitudes of times mm -hmm. and I'm sure that you have probably cataloged a lot of those inconsistencies yeah and especially um, focusing on endgame yeah. which is fans biggest bitch about the show right. I think in a lot of ways um, you've taken all of that and I feel like you uh, are trying to boil that all down so that you can kind of build her back up in in a way that makes her the captain we always kind of wanted this woman captain to be yeah um how do you find that the 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 balance between the maternal instinct that is going to kick in for this woman because that's just part of who women are but not have it be something that people look down on you know that that's a bad thing all of that so with Janeway bringing her back you you're not making it easier on her uh, so just kind of walk me through the process of of okay i've brought this character back okay now what do i do with her and 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 where you do you know we're hoping to to kind of have her end up at least in protectors well i think the first thing i have to say is i'm going to go back for a second to this whole most women have a maternal instinct thing mm -hmm. i don't think they do to be honest with oh, you. I mean, yeah. I, 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 any generalized statement about, the, about men, about women, in any sort of thing always sort of makes the hairs on the back of my neck go up a little bit. Um, yeah. So uh, not, that, not that having a maternal instinct is a positive thing or not or whatever. I think in Janeway's case specifically, it is very easy to make the case that there is a very nurturing maternal side to her. So yeah. it's, it's not even an issue in terms of, you know, women in general. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, 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 I'm, I guess I try very hard to make my characters as fully fleshed out, unique individuals as I possibly can, rather than having them ever just sort of represent or be a mouthpiece for a notion or an idea or a specific type of anybody, right? Um, what makes them interesting is what makes them them, you know? Um, so... Right. There's that. Um, now, as far as the Janeway thing goes, okay, so I bring her back in Eternal Tide. And um, my instinct 
when that book was done and I started attacking the new stories was to initially take her off the stage for a while. Um, as much as anything to sort of set aside fears that we were somehow moving closer to a version of Voyager that we've all already seen, which was essentially Janeway in charge and everybody else sort of doing what they did. But, you know, I mean, yes, later day Voyager dealt a lot with Seven, dealt a lot with the Doctor. I mean, those were the sort of breakout exciting characters in a lot of ways. But Janeway was the center of the show for good and ill. Right. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the big fears that I sensed out there after Eternal Tide, and that I had as well, was that it would be very easy to fall into the trap of just, well, now Janeway's back, it's all about Janeway. Um, but to do that would be to lose everything that I had developed up until that point. You know, I didn't go deep and flesh out not only all of the other main characters, but introduce all of these other exciting new characters just to have them all fall by the wayside because Catherine Janeway's back in town. Um, so I needed to, for myself, find a way to position her so that she could be who she was and fulfill her responsibilities as an admiral and whatever, but also still share the stage with everybody else who the fans and the readers have grown to really love and to want to see more of. Um, you know, every story is going to be different. There are going to be times when, of necessity, Janeway or Chicote or Seven or Tom or whatever will have to carry a large burden just because of whatever the nature of the story is. But I never want my readers to know going in how it's all going to shake down. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. I think oh, that's definitely. part of what keeps these right. books interesting and keeps people wanting more is, is that sense of, you know, Anything can happen for any of 25 different characters now. Yeah. Right? So, like I said, my instinct when I started this process was, let's take Janeway off the stage for a while. I mean, it makes perfect sense that the Admiralty would say, um, okay, you just died. Let's check in and make sure that, you know, <laughs> it's appropriate for you to resume your old responsibilities and leave this fleet. Uh, about that. You died. Um, we're going to need you to come in for counseling. Right, right, yeah. There's just that little thing about your death. Yeah, yeah right. Hmm. Never mind the whole, and you were assimilated and actually became a board queen right before you died. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I sort of made that choice. This is what's going to happen to Janeway. And then I started working on all of the rest of the stories, you know, developing the waveforms and the art planet and all of that stuff that we saw in Protectors. But every time I went back to Janeway and was like, how am I going to move this forward? There was just more and more and more stuff. You know, there was, well, there's, you know, Janeway and her mother, and there's her sister who was so pissed at the memorial service. Right. And there's, you know, um, her old boyfriend, and there's Admiral Montgomery, and there's, you know, now Admiral Lacar is part of the picture. And, you know, then there's just Catherine herself who has to be, you know, in a place she's never been before, which is not necessarily out of control, but sort of lost, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. It, again, it's just you look at realistically, as realistically as you possibly can, you know, coming that close to death, being in the continuum, I mean, what's that going to do to someone? And I struggled for a long time figuring out how to have her, again, realistically work through all of those things. And the one thing I knew for sure was that I was going to need her to, um, to bring us the Vesta. 
Right. Because I needed to bring a lot of characters back, and there was only going to be one way to do that. So, mm. But yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it just, initially the story in my mind had very little to do with Janeway. Mm-hmm. And by the time it was done, you know, she was half of it. Right. Or at least a third of it. Well, and, and, and for me, I think what was so important about that was that, again, you you bring this character back, but you, you aren't doing that thing where you just make her the same thing that you've already seen before. You, you're really, you really are kind of deconstructing her, what it means to be Janeway. Um, and, and then, and then creating a Janeway that has been really shaped and influenced by the experiences that she's had. Yeah. Well, I think of it more as in some ways, reintroducing her to the reader. Mm, I like because, it. Because I think anybody who was a fan of the show had an opinion about Janeway, one way or the other, you know, once that show was done. And um, I've always seen her as certainly one of the most complex characters that Trek has ever given us. And, you know, some of that complexity was intentional on the part of the writers and certainly on the <laughs> actress's part. And some of it was unintentional and came about just as a result of maybe less than well-thought-out writing choices. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but you can't just write your favorite version of a character. You know, you can't just take all the good and pretend the bad didn't happen because that's mm-hmm. dishonest and people will call you on it, you know. You have to find a way to realistically incorporate all of it. And, you know, I also can't let it be like, now I've fixed everything, and so she can be this new whatever. Do you know what I mean? Right. She still has right, to be right. who she is. So like that moment at the end when she confronts Chakotay about the whole Bolana thing was so critical to me mm-hmm. because she did slip back for a second. You yep. know, She's had all these wonderful revelations, and she's had some time to process stuff, and she really is in a good place. But the minute she's challenged, you know, she's like, wait a minute, it's not your decision. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, yep. but it sort of is because he has a lot more information than she does. And she has yep. to remember and learn how to trust people in their new position because everybody has a lot yeah. more power now than they used to. I mean, yes. she's, she's certainly the admiral. I mean, she's in charge. She gets to make the final decisions. But, you know, she doesn't have the luxury anymore of just sort of running roughshod over everybody else's opinions yeah. and feelings, partially yeah. because of. The, the nature of their relationships, but also just because she is operating at a deficit. These people lived through 14 months of hell that she didn't see and acquired exactly. a lot of valuable information and experience during that time. And she would be dumb not to make use of that. And she is not dumb. So it's, you know, it's, it's a fine and delicate line to walk, but it's also a very interesting one. So, and yeah. one that I think helps justify bringing her back. Well, and it's so interesting now because, you know, you could probably make a internet video of all of the times where Chakotay's advice is completely ignored yeah. on the show, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure somebody yeah. probably yeah. has. Um, in fact, just recently <laughs> there was that. a video um, on YouTube. It'd be like that with, Wharf video. Exactly. Of there every was a, time there he's was denied. Yeah. A great video with all the torpedoes that Voyager didn't have oh, that they actually use in the Delta Quadrant. Awesome. And by the time it was over. Yes. They've used over a hundred torpedoes they didn't actually have, um, and all the so new kinds they came up with, <laughs> exactly. like the warp flare torpedo. Yes, and, and they do them all. 
and they mm-hmm. do them all. So it was just really funny. Um, you know, th- this they're, is they're not this happening is the, because they couldn't construct them. I mean, what's the? Uh, well, and at the beginning of the series, you know, they say we only have uh, you know, thirty-seven torpedoes, and we can't just make more. Yeah, it was set up to be like this is a hardship on us. We have a limited number of yeah. torpedoes, but of course, seven exactly. years on the television yeah. series, you got to defend yourself. So exactly, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. So that was they 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 said you know you can always find your way out of this when you're talking yeah. about sci-fi, but this is a funny idea that you know you set it up at the beginning and then by the end of the show you're over a hundred torpedoes in the deficit. Um, so apparently they were getting them on credit. Um, I guess. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, that's one of those things I file away as, oh, that was a dumb yeah. thing to say in that episode. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Because, because yeah. obviously they can make more. They have to be able to make more. I mean, yeah, some way they've would... got blueprints and whatever it is, yeah. they need the materials. After that, they replicate. Yeah. Anything they can't replace, surely they can find in space. I mean, come the hell on. Well, I think that their dedicated torpedo construction officer was killed when the array swept them from the Badlands, and so oh, they couldn't make it. Oh, well, that's more. unfortunate. But that just means somebody has to go to school. Or maybe he wasn't supposed to arrive till Tuesday. Uh, that's probably <laughs> I what it was. Know. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that, I mean, that just seems, that's just dumb. But okay. It's the same thing with the shuttles. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, and, and okay, so so with Janeway, yeah, uh, you you have her end end up on Earth, yeah. and she finally gets a counselor who's kind of worth a damn, yeah. um, because her first one was terrible. And uh, so, what I love though is is what you have her do next, which is leave, which is yeah. something that Catherine has never been able to do. Which I, Catherine, I think, is kind of a control freak, mm-hmm. um, and she lets go, and it's wonderful to watch this character go to her mother's house and spend all of this time in a garden and actually realize she's going to miss being there uh, instead of being in control. And um, I, I thought to me and my, uh, as I was reading the book, okay, this really, she really is making a different Jane way. Um, and, uh, and, and not that you were remaking her in your image or what you wanted, but I really did feel like, you were allowing that character to rest. And and, and it, to me, it was kind of that, um, it, it was a really spiritual thing for her, I thought, of, um, you know, when we go through life, a lot of times it's hard to let go of the mistakes that we've made. Mm-hmm. And Janeway, more than anyone, is her harshest critic mm-hmm. um, and beats herself up over this. And so when somebody finally shows her a way to be free, um, you know, basically free of all her sins mm-hmm. um, and to let them go. She doesn't have to keep paying for them in penance. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was a really beautiful thing to see because it, it is it is the probably the hardest thing that we as humans go through um, in our lives is, is we constantly are kind of dragged back to our mistakes and um, and uh, well, I think we fall into habits, us. right? As we're yeah. living, you know, and she had seven years of really not being able to have a break because she's in charge and they're lost. So, you know, maybe they did surely from time and again, but I can't imagine her ever letting her guard down because ultimately she's responsible for all of these lives. In the time that she came back before she was killed, um, you know, we, we haven't seen all of that time, but I never got the sense that she um, stepped back during that time, you know, just one crisis after another, still too much to do, 
whatever. But the interesting thing is when I when I when I outlined the book, I actually didn't include that bit about her taking the time away. Um, I I had I had included I knew there was going to be a sort of revelation about forgiveness and letting go um, in that scene with Counselor Austin, but I my my instinct at the outline stage once that scene was done was that she would be able to met, then move back into her duties um, just without the same sense of guilt and pressure. But when I actually found the scene and had written the scene and then went to write the bit that followed um, where she went back to talk to Deacon, instead of giving him the orders that I had intended for her to give him, um, I, I just, it just hit me, no, she's done for a while. She's just done. Just go home. And I wrote that, and then I was sort of like, oh, fuck, now what is this going to mean for all these other scenes that I have? And as I went through, I worked it out. But that was, again, one of those instances where the story sort of showed me what I needed rather than me deciding, because what I had decided was wrong. And then once I saw mm-hmm. it on the page, I was like, oh, no, she just has to be done for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, there's, that's it. You know? Well, and, and it you 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 let Kathy decide for you. You like yeah. she needs yeah. rest, and she this is where she needs to be. And what I loved is is um oh, man, I her mother is is a saint, um, <laughs> and uh, I can't. Uh, and and what's so interesting, and 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 I will get to this in a in a little bit because I don't want to go there now. But the way that you deal with her mother and the dichotomy of Julia Paris is, is really interesting. So we'll talk yeah. about that in just a little bit, but yeah. um, I just loved Janeway's mom. I was like, man, who wouldn't want to go home to her mother and have all this great, you know, real organic homemade food, mm-hmm. you know, food that's bad for you, basically mm-hmm. um, right. that, um, you know, the real coffee that, that you, you can't get anywhere else and all of that. And so, yeah, um, I think that was really cool. Well, okay. So when we talked about the eternal tide, uh, yeah. you had told me that, uh, you had a great scene with, uh, Janeway and, and, and Picard where they actually get to meet face to face for the first time. Right. And we finally get to see that here in protectors. Tell me a little bit. And now that we can actually go into the whole thing, tell me what it was like to, to put these two Titans together, um, and two characters who have a lot of similarities and, and just what it was like to kind of uh, flesh that out. Well, at first it was kind of scary because I've never written Picard. That's the first time I've ever written him. And, uh, you know, I feel like as much as I, I would challenge anybody on anything with regarding a Voyager character, I, you know, I just don't feel like I've been inside the skin of any of the other major players in the same way kind of ever. And I didn't, and I never want to write any of them sort of just on a surface level. But the nice thing was, that, you know, I was allowed to have this meeting take place during a very particular time in Picard's life, which is only five weeks after his son is born. Right. And that gave me the hook to who he just had to be in that moment. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that particular experience is universal for all parents. Those first few weeks are like nothing else in your life, and I don't care how old you are and how sure of yourself you are and, you know, in charge of the universe you may be, it all goes away in those first few <laughs> days and weeks of a child. Oh, yeah, most, most definitely. Yeah. So, Even for um, Picard. Mm-hmm. Even for Picard, yeah. And I also, you know, having read all of the other 
books that have come before this moment, you know, there's been a lot of um, fluctuation in some ways in Picard's character. He's been um, more off his pins and a little bit more unpredictable. And so that sort of helped me too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and ultimately, I just love that scene. I mean, I just I right. was so pleased with how it came out. Mm. And, um, you know, there were a few lines that were in there in original drafts that, that ended up going away that I sort of missed. But it, it uh, ultimately, it, it worked because they do share so much. And, and yet, at the same time, they really don't know each other hardly at all. Their interactions have been few and far between. Although one of the things I did do was I finally went back. I'd never read The Buried Age um, before I wrote Protectors, and I went ahead and read it um, right before I did because I knew that uh, Chris had created mm-hmm. uh, a meeting between younger Janeway and Picard in that okay. book. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I went ahead and I read through that and tried to see how it might inform what would happen now. And the most, the sort of most, uh, the clearest image that I remember from my reading of that book was this one moment where, um, you know, because at the point where they meet, he has actually left Starfleet for a bit and he's working with some civilians to unravel this mystery. And they need Starfleet's help. And Janeway is the person who comes aboard and, and I think she's a lieutenant and she's a science officer. And so she's just there for that sort of technical expertise. But... Um, he says something at one point about, you know, you can call me Jean-Luc or whatever, and she replies, I'd, like, I'd rather call you Captain. And I thought, how interesting that for this young lieutenant, who has to be one of, you know, thousands at this point in Starfleet, mm-hmm. the, 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 the reverence she already has for him at such a tender age, how, right. how would that have progressed, you know, since that time? Um, because, of course, she ended up, you know, jumping over him in terms of rank and then giving him orders and that a whole mess in, um, what was the book, Resistance? I can't yes, remember. Yes. Yep. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it, uh, there, was, there was plenty to play with and, um, and it ended up being just a lot of fun. I mean, I sort of felt like the way I felt when I was writing Buffy um, mm-hmm. because I loved Buffy for so long and to actually get to write that book was so much fun. And I, it was, it was a little bit of that same feeling that came back like, Oh gosh, I can't believe I get to do this. I get to write Picard just for one scene. But, you know. <laughs> so. Well, and it, it was so interesting to me because I, you know, and I talked to James Swallow about this, um, and, uh, and then Dayton too. Um, and I, I think, that um you know for Picard that that scene in generations is is really the linchpin of of why he changes mm-hmm. um and and for me i think it was Dayton who told me this he said he felt like that for Picard um the reason movie Picard is different is because he had that conversation with Kirk uh-huh. and um that he becomes kind of more of the action hero guy the more interactive guy the guy that uh, is willing to have more emotion and, and do some things he wouldn't have done on the TV show. Right. And uh, it's so funny because this scene um, with them, I felt like was his kind of generation speech to her, um, mm-hmm. the same kind of speech that, you know, Kirk gave to him. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I really loved that you could see that through line from Kirk to Picard to Janeway mm-hmm. of, of how these in- characters, they have very small moments in each other's lives, but they're, they're impacting them greatly. Um, yeah. 
And uh, I thought There's that was a through really line neat. for sure of what it takes to be a Starfleet captain. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, um, Janeway, like Kirk, you know, was out on the front lines, um, you know, and, and completely cut off from Starfleet. And, and so um, as much like him as, as, as anyone, you know, right. um, since uh, Kirk. And, and, that and it's way, also so. and it was also interesting and fun to play with the idea that they both have unique great relationships with Q. Yes. When we've seen Q interact, it's really primarily been with Picard Janeway. And um and so that was that was also made it easier, you know? One more place where they connect that's unique. Q is the power that binds them. <laughs> that's a scary thought. I feel bad yeah. for those two. Um Okay. Um well I do want to to be able to touch on some other things, and and one of them for me, and I think probably the sh- the most shocking part of the book was Julia Paris's reaction to Tom's letter. Yeah. Um, and for me, it came completely out of the blue the idea that anybody in the twenty fourth century would would go this way because we've never seen. Uh, I guess in really in the twenty first century, we don't really see any of this kind of side of of family law, all that kind of stuff. Right. So for you, where did that come from with her? And I, and I know as being a parent, you it, it probably comes from some of that. But just tell me a little bit about that, because for me, it was a I was like, really, in the twenty fourth century, people wouldn't be able to just accept, you know. But then, uh, you know, maybe I'm I'm putting too much on them. Well, people are still people, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't we we we, yeah, we have true. lots of cool toys and stuff, but that doesn't change our basic drives and needs as individuals. Right. Um, you know, I like to think of the people of the 24th century as more enlightened than us in some ways, but that's primarily because what we see them grappling with are these big, huge, brand new experiences of meeting other cultures or right. scientific exploration, discovery, and all that stuff. We rarely mm-hmm. see domestic situations. Do you know what I mean? And one of the nice things for me in the books has been sort of letting that breathe a little bit and letting that come out a little bit because it's also real to me, you know? I mean, I can't, I still, because I'm a mom and because I know that I have to think about 24-7 where my daughter is, yeah. it doesn't change, that wouldn't change just because I was on a starship. Do you know what I'm saying? So, right, so exactly. to pretend that children can be put in a box somewhere and we can deal with them only when we have a scene for them just doesn't work right. for me. You know, no matter what's happening on the ship, I always know where morale is because I'm freaked out by that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, Julia is a character who I really first started to develop in full circle, right? Because um, when Tom and Valana first came home, it was established in Christie's book that um, – Tom and Blonde had gone first to be with Owen and Julia. And, you know, it just sort of made sense that that relationship would have needed to continue. And, you know, it, for me, after all of the buildup on the show of the tension between Tom and his dad, where mom would have fallen in that was always kind of, you know, a question mark. Now, Jerry Taylor sort of spelled it out in Pathways when she told Tom's story. And I went back and reread that actually before I um, started Protectors as well. And and it really struck me that she had been the one who stood by him when he was, at least according to Jerry Taylor, when he, 
you know, was had the accident at the academy and then lied about it to prevent himself from being punished. And then when it all came out, she stood by him and told him that he could survive it and he could get through it. And, you know, that she still loved him, whereas dad was completely, you know, horrified that his son had behaved this way. So when you when you've gone that far for somebody that you love, when you when you've watched them fail that huge and then you've seen them come back and you know he's he's a he's a new person he's married he's got a child he's done himself incredibly proud in the delta quadrant and proven that he is a fabulous starfleet officer like he always could have been to to then betray again especially right. at that moment in julia's life to me it it made perfect sense that she would not really not be okay with that because she had she had decided they were living in a new place that she knew this tom and that she could trust him and that he was now his father in some ways right and now mm-hmm. his father's dead so she's been living alone since owen died and and she can you know but it, but it's like she can she can now that that's her safe place is with tom and by lying to her he took that away from her and that's just not something I think she could wrap her brain around quite as quickly. I mean, it took Harry Kim a while to wrap his brain around it. Right, exactly. And this is his mother, you know? So I think it's shocking and out of the blue because it's a road that we haven't gone down before. But anytime I see an opening to go down a road we haven't gone down before, you better be damn sure we're going there. (laughs) Because why not? You know? So, um, so, so part of uh, that, that was sort of the, my rationale, my thinking, as I was working through it from Julia's point of view. How would she respond when she, you know, when I first had Tom writing that letter back starting in, I don't even know which book, Children of the Storm maybe, mm-hmm. um, it never occurred to me that it was going to get sent anytime soon and how mom would react to it. And right. had more time gone by, I don't know, maybe she would have been more at peace within herself, I don't know. But when it came time to, okay, now he's going to send the letter back and she's going to have to see it. It, it just, you know, it felt absolutely right to me that um, that that she would respond that way. Then there's sort of the sort of outside the world, me, the writer, structuring part of my brain, which also knew, based on everything that's coming up, that I was going to need more than just seven to be back in the Alpha Quadrant, that I couldn't yeah. send her back alone. So... Um, you know, I needed to make sure that there was good reason, you know, that everybody mm-hmm. who was going back wasn't just going to be sitting around sort of waiting on seven to do whatever she was going to do. Right. 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 Well, and I think that's cool um, because that that's um, an opportunity because with with Tom and seven, not two characters that you've seen a lot together. Um, but I feel like he's always kind of been um, a little bit protective of her on, on the side um and and seeing her kind of um unlike everyone else i mean for her uh i I feel like she was the bombshell or whatnot but he didn't feel that way about her i feel like he always kind of felt more like a a big brother to her and i i'd love to see that explored because i feel like um for seven she kind of needs some of those connections um you know she has chakotay which is great they have a great friendship uh she has cambridge who right now is is doubting her uh, loyalty, but I think she needs um, somebody like a, basically a big brother, and I, I'd love to see um, that 
really kind of come to fruition with Tom because he really has become that that wonderful everyman that we knew he could be this you know he's the han solo scoundrel but yeah. he's got a heart of gold and right. uh you know he he's become that that really steady character and for me he was always my favorite voyager character oh wow i didn't know that um and and so i really have loved what you've done with him because for me it's like okay all the trust that i had kind of put in this who this character could be has actually come about now and I'm, i feel really vindicated that yeah, Tom Pyrus was my favorite, and look why Tom Pyrus was my favorite, because look at what he's become, you know, I mean, I, I could actually see this guy being the captain of a starship in the way that I can see, you know, Picard being the captain of a starship, um, you know, he's going to be a family man, but he's also devoted to Starfleet, um, and uh, it, it's pretty cool to, to see that kind of play out. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like everybody else, he's going to have a little bit of a road to hoe ahead of him. Oh yeah, but, and um, that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you uh, the idea of the Confederacy of the First Worlds mm-hmm. and the Protectors. Um, just where did that idea come from? Because I felt like this was a pretty unique um, idea, sci-fi wise, and I've seen a lot of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing: when um, when my when my editor first came to me and said, okay, we're going to do more Voyager books and, you know, let's get started on the next one. You know, at the very, from the very beginning, I said, okay, are we going to think one story at a time or are we going to think big picture? Because, um, you know, Voyager's 20th anniversary is coming up. It would be really fun to sort of build a nice big adventure arc for them that would sort of culminate in 2015. Is that possible? And Margaret was like, absolutely. So um, from the very beginning of this process, I knew there were issues that were left over from Eternal Tide that were going to have to be dealt with um, in terms of Janeway and Chicote and the fleet and, you know, all of that stuff. But the first, my first notion about this entire trilogy was this idea of an encounter with what became the Confederacy of the Worlds of the First Quadrant. Um, that that's the story of this whole thing. And it just kills me that it took a whole book <laughs> before mm-hmm. I got there. Um, because it feels like now I don't have as much time as I wanted to, to spend, right. um, to spend here. But, um, but the Confederacy is really, was really the inspiration and the center and the heart of this entire trilogy as you know, we will see going forward. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I, um, I don't, I haven't read everything out there. I don't know how many times in the past we might have encountered, um, you know, civilizations or societies that are this advanced and powerful and whatever. But um, but that was something we had never seen on Voyager, for sure. You know, we we had we'd gotten the sense of the vastness of some species like the Devor or the Krenim or or the Voth even, but. Yeah. Um, Everybody else was sort of like one world kind of doing their thing. And, and I wanted to explore the ideas of what, you know, if another group of planets came together the way our Federation has, um, but under different circumstances when they were founded, you know, where might that lead them? How would they be the same? And how would we be different? And how can we explore those differences? So 
yeah, that that that's the Confederacy. Well, and it's always good to kind of uh, to give uh, you know the Federation in some ways like that a mirror, you know, to kind of be able to see mm-hmm. itself and and what it could have become or yeah. what it could become or any of those kind of things. I think that's always a wise thing to do every once in a while yeah. to kind of challenge the 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 ideas of uh, uh, Star Trek, our characters and everything, and and make them think. And and that's again what makes for interesting stories as well when you're when you deal with characters and ideas. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Star Trek is is full of them. Well, and it also has a lot to do with you know all of this stuff always comes out of stuff that's bothering me just as a person. And I feel like we're living in a time right now that is sort of uniquely and maybe not because I hadn't lived in all those other times, but it feels like there is a lot of you're not a cube division. I know, right? Um, but if, but I think everybody says that, you know, this is the worst of times, whatever. But then I think back, I look at like what was going on in the sixties and I'm like, okay, is this really that bad? Cause that was really awful, you know, with Vietnam and the whole, whatever. But you know, I, yeah. so clearly every generation has their own stuff that they're working on, but it's been, it's been really troubling to me and painful to me over the last however many years as I've sort of come into more social and political awareness and consciousness to sort of live in this divide, right, where I have these values and beliefs that I feel so incredibly passionately about and that I feel like define me in so many ways. And people that I am, you know, incredibly close to, whether family, friends, whatever, see things absolutely different. And the love is there between us, but there's no bridge for how we're going to get past this other stuff that we absolutely disagree on. And so... That's where the that's really where the notion of the Confederacy came for from me. If if we came across these people who were very much like us, and yet there are some incredibly powerful core differences that come from, you know, their organic development. So they can't just be seen as well. They're just wrong, and we're just right. Do you know what I mean? But have right. to be really worked through. How would we do that? Well, let mm-hmm. me let my characters find out because I don't have the answers yet. You know. But it's a great thing to explore. Yeah, exactly. That's a, a fantastic idea to explore, you know, and, and have the characters come up against because it, it gives them something uh, big and, and kind of, you know, it could be unsurmountable in the wrong hands. Um, and, and that's where you have, uh, you know, your characters have to exceed and become the best versions of themselves to, to handle a situation like this. And, and um, you know, Sometimes in Voyager, characters were able to do that on the show, and sometimes they weren't. But I think um, the the characters I see now on the page, I have no doubt when they come up against something like this, because they really are becoming those um, the best versions of themselves. Yeah, I certainly try. They're they're up for it. There's no question about it. But yeah, I'm, it, it's exciting. And you know, the funniest thing is, I mean, you know, we've talked about different instances where my characters have told me where we need to go in the story. Right. This is very much happening all the time as I continue to work through this particularly big story. Um, you know, I've changed my mind 20 times about how this thing is ultimately going to settle. And I still can't tell you right now where it's going to end because I haven't written it yet. But, you know, I'll know when I get there what it's supposed to be. So that leads me to this question. And I think I might have this one be kind of the, the end which is, um, you know, you've been laying the foundation in this book for where the Voyager books are going to go. And I know that this is a trilogy. 
Do you have anything else kind of planned out after that at all, tentatively of just thoughts in your head, okay, when I finish this, this is where I could maybe take these characters next? Yes, I do. Okay. I love that answer because that means that we'll get more Voyager books and you will continue to be a best-selling author and (laughs) Star Trek fans everywhere rejoicing. So, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Well, I know we have some listeners who are going, Yes, I do, and they are. <laughs> what are Sorry. those ideas? Yeah, oh, I know better than ask that question. Uh, and so yeah, I, I feel well, like... 49 um, episodes later, surely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, well, uh, Kirsten, I, I so appreciate, one, um, obviously, the, the work that you've been doing with Voyager um, and, and just your passion for Voyager. Um, I know that it really pleases the Voyager fans because I know some rabid Voyager fans mm-hmm. and they have loved your books. And even though I wasn't a rabid Voyager fan, I've loved your books. And I think that speaks <laughs> volumes for uh, the writing and the story and the characters that you are giving us. And so I really want to just say uh, thank you for that. Um, and I know you're not in a lot of places, but one, tell listeners where they can find you. Um, but also, uh, what is coming out of yours that they, they need to know about that we might not? And then what's coming up next for you? Well, um, still the only place to really find me online is the Trek BBS. Uh, there's a bulletin board there that is devoted to Trek literature. And I pop in there from time to time. Um, and chat with people. So if there's specific questions or issues, that's the best, best place to go. Um, in terms of what's coming next, uh, the, the second book in the trilogy that started with Protectors, which is called Acts of Contrition, um, is going to be released, I think, September 30th, right? Or August 30th. I think it's the September book. Yeah, August 30th. Um, and then the final book in the trilogy, which I only have a working title for right now, and it hasn't been approved, so I won't release it yet. Um, is, I think, going to be coming out mid-2015. Okay. Um, and then the next one after that, um, we're already in discussions on as well. Excellent. And, but I don't have a, um, I don't have any idea when that will come out. I, it's not okay. going to be another 18 months or anything like that because I will start writing it as soon as I finish writing okay. the next okay. one. So, um, wow. Looks like they we're are gonna keeping be, you busy. Yeah, yeah. I'm I you know, I wrote every single day of the last year with the exception of like, you know, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day mm-hmm. and and I think I had all of like ten days off after I finished yeah. active wow. nutrition before I started the next one. And uh given the deadlines I've been given now for the next two, I, I yeah, I'm That's I'm great. done for at least a year or so. so. <laughs> well, I this is this is just came to mind, a quick question. So I know that you know Voyager inside and out. Um, when you are thinking up a story then, do you know what episodes then you say to myself, okay, I need to watch The Cloud, I need to watch this episode, I need to watch this episode, because you know immediately which ones you're going to need to go back to? Or yeah. are you just kind of constantly in rewatch mode of Voyager when you're no, writing? No, I, I, it's been a long time since I was able to sit down and like just go through the whole series. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last season that I went through in any detail was season four, and I did that for an article I was writing and that was probably more than a year and a half ago. Um, since then, I've just been having to pull specific episodes gotcha. um, and rewatch for for research stuff. But um, I have sort of been feeling the desire to um, to go ahead and go back to the beginning again and let it 
and I probably will do this as I'm writing this this third one to get me ready for what comes after. Um, okay. To just have it running in the background when I'm doing other things during the day. Yeah, so that it's that's what I of, do. So that it's just sort yeah. of like seeping in again, you know? Yeah. And Netflix makes that easy because then they just say, well, you'll watch the next one in 19 seconds unless you stop. And so you just don't stop and you keep watching. And like three months later, you don't have a job. You don't have any clothes. You know, your <laughs> kids run around like crazy because you've <laughs> been binge watching Voyager. Not an you know? <laughs> yeah, no, so. that's not an option. And plus there's too many shows that I've been wanting to watch just like regular shows um, that I haven't been able yeah. to. Right now I'm mm. binge watching Scandal at night because I had two seasons to catch up on. Yes. You know, yeah. And I have three or four other series like that sitting in my DVR. Well, okay, that's a that's a great question. And I'm gonna start adding this to the list. What is the show? Uh what are the shows right now uh that you are really interested in and, and do watch? What is, what is Kirsten watch beside Voyager? Mm-hmm. Um so right now I'm watching Scandal. I just finished getting caught, caught up with Castle because I'm a huge Nathan Phillips okay. fan. And um He's awesome. Still sitting to be watched is at least the last season of Doctor Who. I know there's been a ton of cool stuff that's oh. happened, and I haven't seen yes, any of it. Yes, it was so awesome. I haven't seen any of it. Ha- and I get to meet Karen anything. Gillum this weekend. Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. Okay, um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just bragging that I'm meeting Karen this weekend. That's all. He's just dreaming about his meeting coming up this weekend. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I'm cool. Sorry. No, no, no. It is very and cool. Then... So. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, I haven't. Otherwise, I follow, like, The Daily Show and Real Time with Bill Maher. And Excellent. Like so wh- why is Battlestar Galactica 1980 not on your list there, Kirsten? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it probably never will be on my list unless I have a very specific reason to watch it. Well, you know, you know my theory about Galactica 1980, right? It's a TV show that was shot secretly by a film crew that snuck onto the sets of other television shows of the time. Anything is possible. Oh gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, okay, so this is awesome. Kirsten, we will definitely have to, to, to keep up then when you do finally finish season seven of Doctor Who, um, and then of course Day of the Doctor and then his regeneration, because I'll be interested to see what you thought. Yeah. Um I'm excited. But uh yes, it you have a lot to be excited mm-hmm. about. So um, well, thank you so much again for coming on. I love getting to talk to you about um, Voyager and the books, and, and you've been so wonderful to us on the show. And so we really appreciate you coming on. And I cannot wait to, to get to Acts of Contrition and get to the middle part of this trilogy to see where we're going next. <laughs> well, I hope you like it. Well, I'm sure I will, and, and God willing, it'll be another best uh, New York Times best-selling book. So. Yeah, I I'm not even gonna go there. I just I'm, I'm fine, you know. I'm it's fine. It's really fine. Yeah. At this point. she's so. like George Costanza. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, right. I could stop writing now. I'm all done. Yeah. Well, thank no. you very much, and we will uh, speak to you in, sometime probably in uh, September or no, October. So sounds good. All right. Thanks so much, Kirsten. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, Matthew, that was really fun to talk to Kirsten about protectors and Voyager in general. And, um, you know, like you, I, I really love what she's doing with Voyager because it's the potential the show realized. That's basically, I just sum it up as saying that. Yeah, I, I definitely think it is, Chris. Um, you know, again, uh, we 
and Charlene and I were talking today on on Facebook and and just really gushing over the fact that Kirsten has done everything with Voyager we ever kind of wanted to see. And 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 I mean, not that everything has has come together like oh I've already had this in my mind and this is exactly what it right. but she's just created the characters the vibrancy of the characters and the continuity that we always desired to see and and, and knew could be there in the show i mean it was set up honestly to be a serialized show you throw somebody it was yeah. you know seventy thousand light years away and their whole goal is to get home each show is going to build on each other because they're getting closer and closer um so the the way kirsten has has worked with the the voyager universe has really been brilliant. And so uh, I love getting to Definitely. talk to her. She's she's so sweet with her time um, to, and to give it to us. So I really do thank her for that. And I can't wait till Acts of Contrition because uh, that kind of maniacal laugh she gave us at the end sounds like she's got some great things in store <laughs> for us. <laughs> That's right. It is one thing about novels, right? When we have to wait for that next one, it's a little bit longer than waiting for comics. As we were saying in news today, we have to wait a month to find out about the second part of this comic story, but a much much longer wait for books. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. You know, the best of both worlds. Bum bum bum, bum 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 bum. You know, we're just we're now we have to wait all summer. So that's true. Um, you know, luckily I I won't I won't pass like you know her on the street. You know, though, like Patrick Stewart would get, and like people like, what's gonna happen? that's right all right well it's great talking protectors it's not the only thing we've been talking about this week on trek fm of course so here are some other things including a little voyager stuff as well that you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm standard orbit space seat commentary and in this proposal um it opens up with kirk and spock playing chess um, and then Spock ch- actually cheats in order to win and gets caught and is a little bit embarrassed. Earl Grey. Civilians on TNG. I'd say that, uh, you know, the Enterprise is lucky to have Mott. He is the heir to the great bully in Applesauce Fortune. The Orb. Raising children on the station. It has sort of a big city, small town feel. In terms of population and size, it's that small town. But in terms of cultural diversity and the challenges that you face uh, as a parent and the things that your children are exposed to, it has more of that big city feel to it. The Ready Room. Remember me. The computer tells Beverly that there's a flaw in the ship's design as the warp bubble is shrinking. And I'm thinking, damn you Starfleet engineers, why do you build a ship that's larger than the universe itself? To the journey! Season 3 Marathon. Not that I want to get too detailed here, but I'm wondering if that's all it would take if he mated with a human or if he would just have to use human form. But I just love right. it when when John Delancey's like, I was good, wasn't I? And then she's yeah. like, mm, yeah. <laughs> Warp 5. Prequel technology. You almost feel like photon torpedoes should have happened 50 years after Enterprise and they should have gone through three different kinds that you'd never heard of. Yeah. And it's That seems more... Right real to me commentary trek stars future sport he's from the streets but he has he has left that life behind and like he has become like a sellout in a sense he's, yeah. he's about the winning at all costs and not the true essence of future sport <laughs> 
Literary Treks. Editing Star Trek with Margaret Clark. I try to make sure that the books are true to their theories. That if you're reading a Key West book, it feels like, okay, Bob Justman would have bought this story. He couldn't afford the effect, but Bob Justman would have gone into Gene and went, you really should read this, this is good. Melodic Treks. The Klingon Theme. Goldsmith's Klingon theme established an aggressive tribal atmosphere for the warlike characters. Goldsmith made it clear in an interview that he wrote the whole Klingon music with bad guys in mind. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So catch all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have a new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in a variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab the shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on Protectors, Anything Kirsten said today or anything we talked about in news, you can do that by going to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to Matthew and me both by email. You can also leave a voicemail on our website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about this show or anything Star Trek. And again, that's trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and you'll find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trek.fm. Now, Matthew, when you're not planning your next trip to the Delta Quadrant, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing02. Um, I, I tend to just kind of tweet about all sorts of different things there. Um, so if you find me, give me an at reply and let me know you're following and um, we'll have a great conversation, whether it's about uh, Star Trek books or anything else that's going on in movies. Uh, Olympics are coming up, so that's kind of exciting. Yep. And then, too, I've got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Uh, now, Chris, when you are not planning ways to uh, get Seven alone um, in, in a holodeck uh, in one of Quirk's programs, where can we find you? <laughs> Is this is this retribution for my Esri comment on the orb last week, Matthew? <laughs> when you were oh, gazing into oh, when Chris. you're not gazing into a photo album of Esri Dax, where can people find you, Matthew? And you just let it go. <laughs> yeah, Chris. I I mean <clears throat> I let it go there and I've gotten my retribution, so boom, roasted. Yes. All right, all right. <laughs> Well, you can find me on, when I'm not doing that. Yes, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my own personal website at cbrianjones.com and then elsewhere on the network. Besides the orb with you, Matthew, you can find me on Warp 5 where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. I have my own interview show as well called Matter Stream, and then you can find me on The Ready Room with hosts from all over the network and special guests, and we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series on that show, so go check those out. Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible helps us bring literary tricks to you every week. And you can support us by trying Audible for yourself, and you'll get a free audiobook of your choice when you do that. And if at the end of 30 days you decide you don't want to stick with Audible, nothing to lose. You get to keep that free audiobook. And remember, we suggested Mosaic by Jerry Taylor. I know Kirsten mentioned Pathways during our discussion 
as well today and they have pathways also on audible and you can get those for free by going to audibletrial.com slash trek fm again that's audibletrial.com slash trek fm and to sign up and we really thank audible for their support of literary treks and the network Another way you can help us keep the show coming to you is to make a contribution to the network. And you can do that at trek.fm slash donate. And we have original alien illustrations as a thank you for your contributions. We have them as badges and art prints. They're original art pieces by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork on our website. You can mix and match, choose which ones you want in which format. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring literary treks to you each week. So we really thank you for helping us keep the show coming. Again, that's at trek.film slash donate. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.